This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and an executive coach, and today I welcome Megan Carl to the show. Megan will share her experience about combating workplace bullying and creating an inclusive culture of hope, connection, and trust. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, this is such an important topic, and I'm really eager to dive into a vulnerable conversation with you, but I want to set it up with a a data point that you have identified, and that is according to research, and this was particularly in 2021, 30% of Americans have been subject to bullying at work. And here's an even more important breakdown. 19% have witnessed it and 49% have felt their work is affected by it. Would you please share your story of experiencing bullying to get us kicked off? Sure. It's an amazing data point, isn't it? And that's from the Workplace Bullying Institute or WBI, uh, which is a wonderful resource and and you know just to emphasize that that um, you know one in two um, people in the United States have been affected by workplace bullying and I was affected um, in a way that was less about that in your face bullying that really comes at you that sort of table banging fist pumping, uh, yelling and aggression, which is one type of bullying that is that is more easily recognized. What I uh, experienced then kind of headed into more of this covert, um, sometimes public, uh, often private bullying that is more nuanced. It can um, show up as passive aggressiveness. Um, it can show up as I just want to trip you up. Um, so a meeting being changed without no, without being notified. Um, oh, I thought I thought you I thought you knew. Um, or a time being changed, or um, a particularly sneaky kind of bullying comes at you um, just to get you back on your heels, um, to have you start questioning your ability. Um, and that of course is known as gaslighting, which is, I think the mother of all bullying types, because as the movie, the, the, I think it was mid 1940s movie gaslight with Ingrid Bergman, which I, I went back and watched so that I'd understand gaslighting. Um, it really is, um, a bully setting out to make you feel crazy. Um, that you are losing your mind, that you are making things up, your work is sabotaged, you're disinvited to things. Um, there are operatives on your team who are spying on you, those kinds of things. So that's the type of bullying that I experienced um, towards the end of my career. And I really did think I was losing my mind. I had lost all um, ability to perform my job. Um, and I really didn't know who I could trust anymore. 
Thank you for for being vulnerable. And I want to give context for this global audience because you were an executive at Nike for 30 years and, and you identified it as your dream job. Was there a point that made you realize you had to leave? Because what I'm hearing you say is there were physical and mental manifestations of this bullying that you experienced. The rock bottom moment came when I was in Dallas. It was after midnight. I was checking into the hotel. I was trying to get into my room. And as those of us who travel for work know, you've got you know all kinds of bags that you're carrying. I remember I had an apple from the front desk stuffed into my mouth. That was dinner. And I'm trying to get my key card to work. And I see down the hall a movement of some sort. And it's an employee from the hotel. They, they're they're wearing a uniform and the person gives me kind of that universal hello head nod. And I am in such a state at that time, I am certain that that employee is going to break into my room and harm me, probably kill me. So my stress and anxiety at that point had gotten to the level of paranoia um, I just fear. And so I got into my room, locked, chained. And then as, as we know, staying in hotels, um, there's not a lot of furniture that you can move anymore. It's bolted, but there was a desk on the opposite side of the room. And I remember just being in sort of this state of almost chest passing this desk across the room to get it in front of the door. And then what I realized is that it would it was blocking my um, way into the bathroom. So I was going to have to crawl under the desk to get in the bathroom. So I decide I'm going to get my pillow and a blanket. Um, I'm going to get the mini bar. I'm going to go to the Pringles, Pringles potato chips mini bar, which we all get as our late night snack. And I spent the evening fully clothed in the bathtub watching that door. And I think in hindsight, I understand that to be that I needed to see the bully. I needed to see that. I needed to see it coming at me. So I positioned myself in that way. I got up the next morning, having not slept, got myself ready and went and ran, ran the, the meeting with our, our biggest customer. Nobody, nobody was the wiser. A few weeks later, you know, thankfully I had my annual physical and there were some alarming stats that my doctor was sharing with me, especially my blood pressure. And she asked the right question. And I was in a position where I was ready to talk. And I started to talk about the symptoms that I was having. I was not sleeping because I was hallucinating. I was uh, had dissociation. So I wasn't actually sure if I were walking past you, Caroline, in a hallway I wasn't sure if you could see me or not Um, and on and on. And then I, I told her about the Dallas situation and I just saw her face. I remember this look of concern on her face. And it was at that moment that I knew um, I was in, I was in real bad shape. Mm. Wow. Thank you for that. And you were going to say something about your uh, physician who, who really gave you that wake up call. How, how did that conversation go? She asked the right question, I think. She, um, when she said, what other symptoms are you having? She saw the blood pressure so high 
And she said, what other symptoms are you having? And then she just gave me space. And I started talking. And she just, just her whole way of accepting what I was saying and acknowledging and not interrupting and not diagnosing. She just let me talk and I took that opportunity. I was ready to talk and I hadn't been ready to talk. And she gave me the gift at the end. She said, you know, you need to make a change. And that, and that was it. And that moment I, I walked out of the appointment. I was incredibly sad that I had put myself at risk and therefore I had put my family at risk. Um, so I had kind of this overwhelming sadness, but I also had just gotten medical advice that I was going to take. I had the, you know, the expert acknowledging and validating that things were not, things were not right with me and I was not well. So that gave me this, um, permission to make a move, make a change. And I did, I, um, I asked for help first. Um, it didn't really garner anything that was going to be helpful to me. And I then realized along with the help of my husband and a lot of other help, um, uh, therapy, all kinds of wellness help. I just, I, I completely immersed in what do I need? I, I allowed myself that I had hit rock bottom and I could see and feel and finally understand the toll that workplace bullying had taken on me. And so I immersed in that. And then I gave myself the permission to walk away. And I was raised in a household of winning. I was raised by, my stepdad was a basketball coach. I have five older brothers. We were a basketball family. Winning literally put food on our table. Um, But it was always about do your best. It's all out effort. It's compete, be a good teammate. And so I did have to really get my head around well, what does it mean to quit then? What does it mean? Does that make me a quitter, a failure? Am I a loser? And what I realized then was to stay in such a situation was to acquiesce to a system that was not supporting me. And the, the win was indeed in walking away. Megan Carl, we'll be right back after a quick break. I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code, CDHWORK. Hiring 
the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. Megan, I'm so grateful for your vulnerability, and I imagine there are people around the world listening that are nodding their heads in agreement because there is relatability and familiarity with something you said that resonates in them. I do want to take it a little deeper because workplace bullying is different from other forms of intimidation at work, from healthy tension to sexual harassment, for example. So help this audience recognize what workplace bullying is so they can give themselves permission, just like you did, to make changes. Yeah, I think the key with workplace bullying is a repeated pattern of health-harming mistreatment. And those who are experiencing that define what health-harming mistreatment means. But the key there is a repeated pattern. And so, you know, getting your name wrong, for example, my name's pronounced Megan, your name's pronounced Caroline. If somebody consistently calls me Megan and really has no interest in getting my name right after I have um, corrected the person, that's a, I'm going to press pause on that one as an employee. I'm going to take note of that. That doesn't mean they're a workplace bully. It just means that they don't care enough about me as an employee to get my name right. And that could be the, a sign of something deeper. Um, now, it might be, gosh, you know what, Megan? I have a niece named Megan. And so if I get that wrong, can you bear with me a little bit? And that happens all the time. That's different. But those, the people that are intentionally getting a name wrong, getting your name wrong is basically just saying, you're not worth me getting your name right. And so that isn't cause for alarm bells necessarily. That's not, that's not, oh my gosh, that's a workplace bully. It's certainly cause to document and just to take note. Um, so that's a, there's a difference between, gosh, I'm so sorry I'm getting this wrong. I know I am. I know for me, people call me Meigs. That's my nickname. Those who are more familiar with me call me that. And I think a lot of that is because it is hard for them to remember, is it Megan or Megan? I, you know. So there are ways to help people out. But um, that documentation, you know, if you start feeling um, and experiencing somebody causing you health-harming mistreatment, sabotaging your work, excluding you, um, 
making fun of you, you know, sarcastically, that is, that's an opportunity to document. And it's also an opportunity to get outside of what you're experiencing and do a bit of a stress test on your organization. Is there a climate of fear? Is there a climate of intimidation? Are people able to share a point of view that is different from the one that is coming from the top? How are people rewarded? Is it more than an annual performance review? How are problems solved? Is it collaborative or is it an autocratic top-down rule? My way is it. So those are kinds of those are the things that I would suggest people in you know people who may think I think I'm experiencing workplace bullying or is my boss or my coworker just always in a bad mood and there's a difference between that now both of them you've got to you've got to um, make it a point to recognize what you can put up with and and what you cannot. Such good questions to give us awareness of what to look out for. Let's get tactical because your book is so solution-oriented, which is why I love it. And let's give a hypothetical. So someone listening is saying, okay, I'm being bullied. I am the victim of bullying at work. What do they do? And then the other scenario, what if you're witnessing a colleague being bullied? How do you advocate on their behalf? So what should the folks in the trenches out there be doing? Well, I love the question, and it is really why I wrote the book, and it's why it's called The Playbook, because I know when I was experiencing workplace bullying, I had no idea what was coming at me. I wouldn't have known what to call it. I certainly didn't know how to respond to it. I was just back on my heels. Um, I think the first thing to, to realize is just to be able to recognize what is happening and then to determine what your own response options are. Um, you can ignore it. You can resist it. You can comply um, or you can enlist or you can do a combination of, of all of those response options or moves. Um, if you ignore it, you are basically not giving it any space. This is hard to do. If you're, if you're bullied in a public setting and um, you want to uh, respond to it, that is also a difficult thing to do. Um, but so ignoring is, is one way to go. Resisting it, you can hold, you can hold your space. A bully is bullying you. You can counter. You know what you're, what you're doing right now is um, is actually workplace bullying, and it's making me really uncomfortable. And I can see as I look around this room that it's making other people uncomfortable. You can comply, which which was my singular move. Okay, okay, I got it. Sorry, yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, make that happen. You know, just a pleaser. Uh, learned a lot about my stress mode goes goes to pleaser, hundred um, percent. That is a dangerous move because what it shows those who are looking to you as a leader, well, she's got one move and it's compliance. So if she, if, if, if she can't do anything about this, what chance do we have? 
Um, and then the last one is, I think the mo- I think it's the most important. And it's one, if I can go back, you know, you hate to do the, I wish, um, especially with this subject, because you've already been bullied. So you don't need to bully yourself by, by regret. Um, but enlist, enlisting your allies. So that could be you're bullied in a public setting and you do comply during that or you ignore and you try to move on with the meeting. But maybe afterwards, you select a couple people who witnessed what was going on and you talk to them about it. And it might sound something like, you know, I, I was uncomfortable with that. I noticed you were too. How did it make you feel? And then I think, you know, your question about witnesses, all of these things apply as well. And the, the thing that, that people have in common, witnesses or those um, being bullied, is to document. Document all of it. You know, in a meeting on uh, May 5th, the agenda was this. Those in attendance were these people. This is what happened. And then witnesses are in such a unique position and such a valuable position to help because they are not the ones being bullied. And so for witnesses to go to HR and report, I think is probably one of the best moves that can be made because although they're not being bullied at that point, the bully certainly can turn on them. And so they're just in this really, they're in a position of strength. So a couple things, try to recognize what is happening. Try to understand that if you've been the target of of a workplace bully, chances are that that is going to continue to happen. And so be ready with some thoughts of how you might counter that versus just backpedaling. Um, And then document everything and enlist your allies. There's There is no reason for you to be experiencing this um, by yourself. Megan, I love that the book is a playbook and I've I've got it here. I'm leaping through it as we have this conversation. And one of, I think, the most tactical and helpful section at the end of chapters are the drills. And that's in line with the sports theme and, you know, very (laughs) specific information. So I'm I'm eager to tell our global listening audience about the book and where they can buy it. But before that, before we started the show today, you said, I'm a hopeful person. And in closing with this conversation, tell us why. Because you went through a lot, but you choose to lead with hope. And I'd love to hear more. Well, I think so much of that for me personally is my upbringing. I was brought up in a loving household full of hope. Um, it was uh, the idea of do your best, um, be there for each other. It came from, I come from a big family, have each other's back. And sometimes, just like in sports, sometimes the scoreboard does not go your way. You're not always posting wins up on the scoreboard with points. So what is the win even in even even when you post less points, there's always a win. There's always hope. There's always learning. Um, and so I think, you know, having grown up in that type of framework, uh, well, what did you learn today? Did you have fun? 
Are you, are you bet? Did you control what you can control? Was it all out effort? Did you do your best, your best today? So I think that for me is what saw me through this. And that is not to say that it was an easy road because it, it, it just wasn't. This was some dark, these, there were some dark days. I described that Dallas scene that, you know, that is not a good place to be in. Double stacking Pringles in the bathtub. Okay. And fully clothed watching the door. That is not a good, that's not a good look for anybody. So my hope is know yourself, listen to your friends who are trying to get through to you, uh, enlist your allies, get the help that you need, understand that you are not allowing yourself to be bullied. This isn't about you. It's about the bully. So so this whole kind of these, these moves that you're trying to make, well, if I say it this way, if I do this, maybe he'll like me, maybe she'll do this differently with me. That isn't how this works because it's not about you. Do not suffer in silence. Don't go, don't go alone on this. This is, this is not a, this is not a solo sport. Um, this is team. It's all about the team. And then figure out your win. Define what winning means to you. Megan Carl, I learned so much from you today. I'm deeply grateful, and I want to share the title of this incredible book with a global listening audience. Your book is called Walk Away to Win, a playbook to combat workplace bullying. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But if you would be so kind to tell this this international audience how they can connect with you, Megan. Well, I would love uh, for people to connect with me on, I'm on Instagram at Megan M. Carl. I'm on LinkedIn uh, quite a bit. Come and find me uh, and connect. I have, my website is Megan M. Carl. Um, and I'd love to hear from you and connect and, um, and support you. Megan, thank you so much. And I wish you great success. And I'm so grateful that you spent time with me on the show today. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you for having me. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I want to hear from you. So let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And a special shout out to my extraordinary Your Working Life colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.